quick as we do that. Um, we, uh, we are in a series, Why Church Matters, and we'll get to that in a second. I wanted to start this morning by talking a little bit I went about my time in Indonesia. When I went to Indonesia, I had to start learning language, obviously. Um, and I, when I did that, I bought these little blank cards in packs of 500, and I would write the Indonesian word on one side, turn the card around, and write the uh, English equivalent on the other. Humankind's jasmine lime green tea, the best back there. There's drinks back there if you want one. Mm. Um, and I would, and I would daily, I would go through these things and I would memorize. I would, I would read the Indonesian word and I would try to figure out, try to remember what the English was and all that kind of stuff. And once I was proficient with one pack of cards, I would stick it on a shelf in this little plastic case. And that was like an encouragement to me. I knew 500 words, you know, and that was kind of cool. And then, you know, I'd go back and I would, I would uh, re, you know, like go through them again if I needed to and all that stuff. But then I would start another pack. And in that way, I amassed somewhere in the vicinity of three to 5,000 words. I can't really remember. Uh, I think in English, most people only know about 5,000 words, a native speaker, by the way. Um, you might know more than that in a, in a technically, like a, in your field of technology or medical technology or something like that, that I don't know, that kind of thing. But basically, I got three to 5,000 words in Indonesian, and I needed those, right? I needed those to be fluent. I needed them to live. I needed them to communicate. I needed them to understand Indonesian culture and worldview because Given the, there is nothing that reveals the worldview and the culture of a people like their language and their writing, right? And uh, you ever think about, like, you know, if aliens came to the planet and they started reading our stuff, like, well, you know, they, we, we'd seem pretty screwed up sometimes. But anyway, but language forms us, right? It forms us, it shapes us, it embeds in us certain values, certain beliefs, and certain ways of doing things, right? How we live. And the same is true with Scripture. Now, we've heard this passage boink, right there uh, for many months now, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And if you've not noticed, I've memorized that. All right, not to toot my own horn, but I have. I've, I've memorized it. This is Jesus' last command, which has become our first concern as his people. It's referred to in the church. If you're unfamiliar with church life, it's referred to as the Great Commission, Right? Uh, and and uh, memorization of God's word is a great discipleship tool, right? It forms us. It, it keeps the word of God in the forefront of our minds. It, it shapes us. It forms us spiritually. And, and it helps us to understand the mind of God. It reveals his character. It reveals his desires. It forms us into his likeness. And, and, and it becomes one of the greatest avenues of understanding his heart, Right? So I'd like you to challenge, I'd like to challenge you to memorize this passage as well as a church. It would be wonderful if everybody at 6-8 could recite this from memory. Put it on a 3 by 5 card. Stick it on your bathroom mirror. Put it on your computer or whatever. and um, Your refrigerator. Wherever you have to put it, you know, put it in your pocket and pull it out every once in a while. And whenever you can... Recite it and recite the reference and commit it to memory since it is Jesus' call for every believer in the world as we've seen that he's prayed over us and he's commanded us, right? And when Jesus commands something, we should listen. So in light of that, I want to ask you to recite it with me out loud right now. So we're going to start and I'm, you just follow along with me. You ready? 
Yes. Amen. Yes. All right. Ready? One, two, three. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Good job. You guys are good students. But for three weeks now, we've been in this series, Church Ma- Church, Why Church Matters, as we've said. And we're sort of banging the same drum, right? Banging the same drum of God's heart, God's call on the church over and over again. Why do we do that? Because Jesus did it. And it's important, right? So we've seen firstly in our first sermon that church matters given that it represents Jesus, right? It's a simple truth. And secondly, last week we saw that, that it is a community that is bringing God's glory through his mission to all peoples of the world. So bringing God's glory uh, to the peoples of the world through his mission. And we've been hovering, if you haven't noticed, in passages that are around the end of his life or the end of his time on earth. And today we're going to go back to the beginning, looking firstly at Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17, which says this. When Jesus heard that John, and that is John the Baptist, if you don't know the story, uh, John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake, by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Galilees, of the Gentiles, I'm sorry. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. Now you know why Katie read that passage. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Amen, right? From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, I want to point out that the kingdom, when the kingdom of heaven comes, when the kingdom of God comes into a person's life, there is repentance that comes with it. You can't have the kingdom of God without a repentance in your life, right? So it comes, they come hand in hand. I uh, I love building things, and I built my chicken coop in my backyard. Isn't it beautiful? I'm very proud of my chicken coop, right? I'm no professional builder by any means, but to be honest, I had to redo the roof because I screwed it up the first time. But um, I do love to build things when the opportunity arises, right? And it took me some time uh, building this thing. I had to work out problems. I had to sweat and swing a hammer and all that kind of stuff. And, and when you don't do th- something all the time, you don't really know all the ways to do it and cut corners and, and get it done quickly and all that stuff. But now I built this thing and all my little French hens have a beautiful place to live. My, my chicken coop is actually like, it's like a five-star hotel for chickens. You know, it's, it's just a great chicken coop. And my, my girls are fat and happy and they bring me lots of eggs and it's beautiful. So I love that. And when there was nothing someplace, right, and suddenly you build something, something something suddenly there, right, it leaves a mark, obviously, right? It's hard not to notice my beautiful chicken coop in my backyard when you walk through my backyard. And to erase its presence would take no little effort. I mean, it would be a lot to dismantle this thing. It is solid. It is large. It is here to stay, right? It's not going anywhere. And today we see that church matters 
because it's the tool in building God's kingdom. Because it's the tool in building God's kingdom. And as we've seen in the past, Christ is embodied in the church. And he's given us all the tools. He's equipped us with everything that we need to build his kingdom for God's glory among all peoples of the world, right? Starting right here in Bryn Mawr and Ardmore and all these places that we, we live and worship, right? And I have loved, over the past 10 plus years, I have loved, you know, laboring to build this church alongside all of you as we build God's kingdom locally and globally. You know, and our, we have work in Syria and Lebanon and Morocco and Indonesia and wherever Sammy Zondervan finds herself next, right? She's, she kind of moves around. But unlike my chicken coop, which got finished, it's done. I don't have to do anything else to it. I might have to repair it every once in a while, but it's basically there, right? Unlike my chicken coop, the kingdom of God is always in process. We are always building it, right? The work won't cease until Christ returns, establishing his kingdom here in full, right? Kingdom building isn't something that we achieve. It is something that we constantly work at, constantly strive for, right? So let's understand, secondly, that church matters because it glorifies God in worship among the nations. It glorifies God in worship among the nations. When the nations, when the people of the world see us worshiping, it's a powerful thing. John Piper said, worship is the goal and fuel of missions. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And that is worship among all peoples, all ethnic groups of the world, right? One day, missions will cease. It will stop. We won't need it anymore, right? But worship will continue on forever, and it's our central purpose of the church, right? Our worship of God. Bye, sweetie. It's my way. Um, worship is central to us as a people, and it's central to the mission of God, right? It's the fuel for it. Last week, we heard for the first time, and we just heard it again today, this song that Vinnie wrote, and, you know, and, and we just, it was a great song, beautiful song. I love it already, right? And apparently, Vinnie and I went out to dinner the other night, and apparently there are no less than 15 songs that our worship ministry has written, right? And they're going to they're gonna plan to sing those, roll them out over, uh, you know, over time. And I'm sure you'd agree that the one that we've already heard is a testimony to the missional, you know, worshipful heart of this church. Since you may not know that it wasn't just Vinny who wrote that song, right? Rachel, who heads up our prayer ministry, who was up here giving our announcements, she um, gave him the notes from from all the just different prayer times and what, what the prayer ministry has been hearing from the Lord. Rob Schaefer, put him on the spot a little bit, uh, has written lyrics. <clears throat> Rob's not a, a music guy, but he's written lyrics and he sent them on to Vinny, which have worked their way into songs. And, and that is beautiful. So these are communal efforts led by the Spirit. Songs of worship reflecting the heart of God among us are a testimony. They're a true testimony to the growing, you know, vibrant church, you know, which is about God's glory and about God's mission. It's, it's, it means we're on task. We're, we're going in the right direction, right? And when a church truly worships, when it truly, really, truly worships, it's a sign that we are walking lockstep with the Spirit and the Word of God. 
that we're going in the right direction, that we're not one degree off, that we're headed for the island or wherever we're going, right? Now, this passage in Matthew chapter 4 follows John the Baptist quoting the same from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. In, In chapter 3 of Matthew, referring to Christ's coming, John says, just like Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And like Isaiah prophecies about Christ's coming, which we'll talk about, he he also does so concerning John as the one to prepare the way for Christ's coming, right? And and it says in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 3, still talking about uh, Isaiah, it says, this is he who spoke, who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Make straight paths for him is just another phrase for saying repent, right? And it follows Christ's baptism by John in the Jordan when John states, you know, it should be you baptizing me, not the other way around. That made sense to me. Because if Jesus said, baptize me, I'd be like, no, dude, you should be the guy, right? But Jesus counters and he says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, John, you got to baptize me so that the scriptures might be fulfilled, completed, that everything falls into place. And then if you remember the story, the Holy Spirit falls on Jesus, right? Descends upon Jesus and a voice from heaven states, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased, right? Matthew chapter three, verse 17. So glory, right? We've talked about that in the past couple sermons. God, the father giving glory to the son, the son giving glory to the father, which is all reminiscent, by the way, of Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, which says, here is my servant, this is a prophecy of the coming of Christ, whom I I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. How does he bring justice? Through the cross, right? He will bring justice to the nations. And that's a verse that is intimately tied, by the way, to Genesis 49 verse 10 it says the scepter will not depart from judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his so all this language of obedience and nations and all these different things reminding us of the great commission right we, we could te- keep tying Scripture to Scripture to Scripture about the coming of Christ, all these prophecies from Old Testament being fulfilled in the New and what that all means. But if you remember, a couple of weeks ago we said, Augustine was quoted as saying, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, right? So we see from these prophecies this truth very clearly, very clearly. Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, and he comes ushering in the kingdom of God, the exact thing of which he speaks so often of in his own ministry. When you start to read Jesus' word, you start to hear this kingdom of God stuff come in all the time, and that is what he calls us to in the Great Commission, Matthew 28. So the scriptures reveal this coming Messiah, this coming Savior, ushering in the kingdom of God, a a kingdom of justice, 
Not addressing behavior through external law, but through conviction and the reign of God in the hearts of people, producing repentance and true life change. Makes different people. The justice of God, the Father, right? Justice of God, the Father, for the sin of the world is meted out on the Son on that cross. So abused and abuser, oppressed and oppressor, both find justice satisfied and restoration extended to them in that cross, in this story of the gospel. And so here, you have to remember that justice without the cross, justice without the kingdom reign of God in people, addressing the sin of all of humankind, whoever it is, is misguided. The goal of the cross is full restoration, full reconciliation of the sinner as Christ comes and takes on the wrath of the Father on my behalf and on your behalf and on the world's behalf. John the Baptist was a herald of all this, right? He was a precursor. He came before Jesus announcing all this. One who practiced the Great Commission even before Jesus uttered it and before Jesus' official ministry actually even began. Now, how'd that happen? Well, that's because this call upon Israel was age old from the very beginning of the Hebrew scriptures, largely beginning with Abraham's call in Genesis chapter 12, if you remember that story. And even before that, way back in Genesis chapter three, with this prophecy of this Messiah crushing the head of the serpent. But that's a sermon for a different day. So what we find is that church matters because it makes straight paths for Jesus. Church matters because it makes straight paths for Jesus. We are announcing this. John calls people to prepare their hearts to receive the Messiah, right? His message and his life to receive that. And in meeting Jesus, we are confronted with a moral and social imperative to repent to turn away from that which is not of God, that is not godly for us or for anybody else around us, and give our lives in fullness to him. Christ takes on the punishment for our sin, restoring our relationship to God the Father, opening that door for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And what we are is we are made righteous. Now, what does that mean? We said glory and righteousness last week are difficult words to define. Righteousness just means that we are, we are simply rightly related to God once more. We're in the right place. We're on the right path due to Jesus' work on the cross and his empty tomb. So John's message was a message of repentance, of turning away, one of turning away of of things and and thoughts and things like that that are not life-giving and turning towards Jesus who actually brings full life to anybody and everybody. And that brings with it a transformed life a transformed life, a life that is set apart for holiness, a life that is reflecting the heart of God in thinking and behavior, even to how we view others that are different than us, 
We're a lot of talk of racism in the world right now, right? We glorify God in our obedience, not just outwardly, but inwardly, in here, in here. So hatred and violence and racism and things like that, they're not the ways of God. Rather, God embraces all peoples, all nations, and he calls uh, his people to do the same. He doesn't accept the wrongness of these things, but he calls them to repentance to come into his kingdom, right? And, he pers- and, and we pursue them with the message of Jesus for the sake of God's glory among them. So as we pursue Jesus, we naturally become, we should naturally become a diverse people embracing everyone with the love of Christ. doesn't matter who you are. Come on in and get to know Jesus, right? Likewise, God calls us to a new ethic of sexual purity and pure attitudes and personal holiness, which are reflective of his nature as well, despite our personal preferences. Remember, we said last week that God is glorified when people lift him up as preeminent and their lives reflecting his commandments and teachings and heart. That all glorifies him. Reflecting fidelity and faithfulness in how we act, what we think, and how we live both privately and corporately. A Romans 12, 1 and 2 sort of a life of worship, right? Where we don't conform to the patterns of this world, but we allow Jesus to transform our minds by the renewing of our minds, right? John considered himself a tool of the kingdom of God that his life was one of worship in all ways. He was kind of a strange guy. Since true worship is either reflected in everything that we are, everything that we say, and everything that we do, or not, right? And he understood these things from the scriptures and from God's lead and even before uh, the cross occurred. John was a pretty incredible guy. And we too, if you haven't noticed, are called to become a herald for the kingdom of God. That's what we're called to right? John was a man of purity, taking seriously his personal spiritual formation in the light of his calling. He considered himself to be a man that was separate, uh, uh, set apart for God, right? He was unique. He, he saw himself as, as in this unique position with the Lord. And to all those around him, he said the same things. He called them to the same things. To the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious ruling class, he expected the very same thing, despite their positions of power. He said, and he challenged them, he said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He called them to the same thing. Even though they knew all the scriptures and all that kind of stuff. He said, you need to do the same thing. He stated that they couldn't just rely on their positional bloodline, right? Just because you, don't, you go to church doesn't mean you're, you're really walking with Jesus. Right? You, they couldn't rely just on their positional bloodline of being a part of the Jewish nation. They had to also come to Christ, submit themselves to Christ in all ways. So what we find is that spiritual formation is actually very important. You might call it discipleship or spiritual formation, whatever it is, but it's very important. Giving up what is not of God and adopting what is of God. Right? turning from sin and turning to Jesus. It's not a punitive thing. It's a freedom thing. It's a very big difference. 
If we are unwilling to allow the Spirit of God uh, to do a work in our heart, we find that we can't really have any part of the kingdom. There is no salvation without his lordship over our lives. You can't just have Jesus as Savior. He's got to also be Lord. Amen, right? Amen. And it's not that we achieve perfection. If anybody knows me, you know I'm not perfect, right? It's not that we achieve perfection, but we do live a life of pursuit of Christ with a willingness to have him change us. Romans 12, 1 and 2, to be renewed in our minds. And like John called us to, we make straight paths for him, right? And we submit ourselves in obedience to Jesus' life and call upon us also as a herald. That which is offensive to the life of Christ and of his holiness, we confess and we leave it at the, at the foot of the cross, despite our preferences. Ideas that are contrary to Christ, we confess and we leave at the cross. And we take on his life, reflecting him in faithfulness and fidelity, regarding all people as those living in darkness who also need Jesus. And as the tool of the kingdom of God, the church is committed to all peoples. The church is committed to all peoples. Now, it's no mistake in this passage in Matthew 4 that Jesus moved himself to Capernaum in the vicinity of Naphtali and Zebulon, two tribes of Israel, right? But also right in the middle of all these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people groups, all these ethnic groups that were non-Jewish, a place of diversity, right? A place of diversity. Jew and Gentile alike, Jew and all these other people groups living side by side in a time when much of Israel had become insular and nationalistic, not regarding their call from, from the Hebrew scriptures to be a light to the nations, and they had, be, they had been serving only themselves. They had become consumer-minded, which we talked about last week. They had become nationalistic, only about themselves, and they had even become racist, looking at other people as less than. But Jesus moves into the neighborhood, right? He comes in, and as a result, light has dawned on both Jew and Gentile alike. And and what they find out is, it's not about them. It's not about their preferences. It's not about their differences. It's not about their likes or dislikes or, or their felt needs or their angers or their passions and all that stuff. It's all about Jesus. It's all about this kingdom of God that he brings. Salvation has come. The kingdom has come. God has entered our reality and he's made his home with us now in Capernaum, right? Jesus is kingdom building and all peoples, Jew and Gentile alike, are his material, his bricks and mortar for building this kingdom. Since the language of light and dawn would have been unmistakable to the Jews reading this or hearing him as language of salvation for both Jew and Gentile that God loves everybody. And we see the church as God's kingdom tool brings light to the nations. We bring light to the nations. So Jesus moves into this place of great darkness, as some translations have it. Right here it says uh, the people are living in the shadow of death. And by the way, hear that. 
The, the words are not minced at all. They're not played down. They're not watered down. They're not sanitized. People living, and let me say this clearly, people living without Christ's reign in their lives are living in spiritual darkness. They are. And we, we act like they're not. I know that's an unpopular and maybe a politically incorrect thing to say these days, but the dislike of the statement doesn't make it any less true. It's not a critical statement of people either. It is just a truth statement. We used to live in darkness as well before we knew Jesus. It just reveals their need for reconciliation with God, their need for freedom. Christian is no better than anybody else. We're not. We're just hungry beggars who have found the bread of life and we're called to share it with other people. And Scripture clearly teaches who and what Jesus is over and over again. Uh, Talking about Jesus, Acts 4.12, it says, there is salvation in no one else. Not in Buddha, not in the teachings of Hinduism, not in, in anything, any other philosophy of life, any other religious writings, anywhere, everywhere. There is no one else. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by men by which they must be saved. God is not, he's not, he doesn't have multiple personalities. He communicates himself in one way. Romans ten seventeen. faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Whoever has the Son has life. This is 1 John 5, 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. These are just truths. And so as a result of all that, what does Jesus command? He says, go and there, go therefore and make disciples of all nations because they need me. They need me. Christians have only showed that willingness to do our part to make that straight path for our lives under conviction and under the direction of the scriptures and the Holy Spirit's lead. Otherwise, we'd be off living in moral and social darkness ourselves. fast car. I'm a guy. Anyway, but coming under the the kingdom reign of God, as we've seen in Matthew 28 and Genesis 49 and all these various passages in Isaiah means obedience and life change for us to be able to live under Christ's rule, which is all better for us and everybody around us. It's all better for the world. It's true worship. It's glorifying to God, right? Since it restores humanity to what it was originally created to be. Bringing peace and wholeness to relationships and life. And we also see that in the beginning of his ministry, right away, right away from the very onset, Jesus begins to pick up and sharpen his tool for kingdom building. He doesn't just do it all himself. He picks up and sharpens the tool for kingdom building. Since immediately following his baptism and his temptation in the wilderness, if you remember, and and the proclamation that he makes here in Matthew 4 that the kingdom of heaven has come near, Jesus begins to call his first disciples to task. It says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, and they were fishers of men. They were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. No questioning. Not like, well, what about this and what about that? They just followed. 
And when he had gone a little farther, he said, it says, uh, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and, left, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Dad, you're covered. We're going. Right? So he's moved into the neighborhood. He's established his presence. He's made his kingdom purposes known. And the first thing that Jesus does is grab these guys and he says, you are my kingdom building tool. Come with me and we're going to go fish for people. We're going to go fish for people. And he teaches them and he equips them and he prays for them. And as we saw last week, he prays for you as well in this vein. And then he provides opportunity for them to do ministry, all the ministry that he's been doing. If we jump to Matthew 10.1, we see a little bit of that happening already. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So let's also remember that in kingdom building, uh, the church's greatest power is in prayer. The church's greatest power is in prayer. In the past few weeks, I've challenged you guys to write down three people that you can be influencing towards Christ, one step at a time towards Christ, that you can be praying for, you can be talking to, that you can be discipling to either deeper in Jesus or to Jesus for the very first time. And I've challenged you also to get out and to push past your fears and do something for the sake of God's glory and God's mission in our community. And remember, in doing these things, Jesus said, I chose you. Remember, he prayed for you last week. He prayed for you specifically. He says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So that whatever you ask for, in my, in the fa- ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. If worship among all peoples for, in the world for the sake of God's glory is the goal, then these things are right in line with his will. They are right in line with his will. You don't have to say, well, should I say something? You know, you just do this. There's no question about it. They are right in line with his will. Prayer is your first line of offense. Of offense, I should say it that way. Right? Offense, not you don't want to offend people. But offense. So engage in prayer, right? Engage with it. John Piper also said, one of the reasons our prayer malfunctions is that we treat it like a domestic intercom for calling the butler for another pillow in the den rather than treating it like a wartime walkie-talkie for calling down the power of the Holy Spirit in the battle for for souls. This life is not about us. It's about God's glory, and it's about God's mission. And so let us pray, let us act, let us speak and live towards that end. Because as we see in Romans 15, 9, Jesus sends us out in mission that the Gentiles, that all people groups of the earth might glorify God for his mercy. There's another verse, Romans 5, 4, I think it is where it says it's God's mercy that leads people to repentance. So it's not a heavy-handed thing. When I came to Christ, man, I was just like overjoyed to give up things, right? And this all reflects the same sentiment of the Great Commission. 
So in conclusion, church matters because, number one, it is the tool in building God's kingdom. So consider yourself a tool to build God's kingdom. Just think of yourself that way, right? Number two, it glorifies God in worship among the nations. So worship Jesus in everything that you are, everything that you think, everything you say and do. Romans 12, 1 and 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Submit yourself and allow him. Bring those things that are unsavory to him and confess them and leave them at the cross. Number three, it makes straight paths for Jesus, right? Submit to him in all ways. Be transformed. Lay down, you know, your life so that people can see what Christ is doing in you. It's called to be a herald for the kingdom of God. So consider yourself a voice. We are the voice, the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus in the Ardmore and uh, Eastern Mainline area, right? We, we, we want to be this for people around us. It's committed to all peoples. Break down barriers through sharing Jesus. There is no room for me to think of anybody as less than in in the gospel of Christ. None. None. I can disagree with behavior. I can disagree with choices. That's a difference. But I can't look down on anybody. It's not within me to do that in the spirit of God. It brings light to the nations. Be light. Be a light in every opportunity you find yourself. Sometimes, you know, you're you're in a in a situation where you're like. I should have said this. Don't beat yourself up for that, but think about it the next time. Think about every moment that you're with people that there is something there that you can bring about Jesus, right? Even if it's just praying for them, right? Um, And finally, Jesus chose and equips us to be his tool for kingdom building. So let him form you. Let him use you. Consider yourself that. And finally, our greatest power is in prayer. Our greatest power is in prayer. Direct your prayers towards kingdom building initiatives, right? Direct your prayers to the people around you and and their need of Christ. And in our cross-cultural efforts as a church, pray for our community. Engage in the opportunities like Bryn Mawr Day coming up. I think it's September 7th or 9th or something like that. We're going to be out there with a prayer booth. Uh, Pray for Asaba this, this, uh, this coming Saturday, right? We are going to have a movie night outside in, in, in the Saba Park there. Come, join, you know, do something. You can talk to Steph about that. And, uh, and come and get to know people and pray for them and talk to them. Don't be the Bible-thumping jerk, but be a good light for Christ, right? Even if that just means for the first few times you get to know them before you bring something up too heavy, right? You know, like you don't, you don't bring up politics when you first meet somebody, right? You don't know how that's going to go over, right? So, you know, don't, don't just like, well, Jesus loves you. You know, like that's not, that's not what we do. But, um, but don't be afraid or ashamed of Jesus either, right? Share your stories about what Christ is doing in your life. Nobody can argue your experience, right? Um, so uh, Linwood Park, we do things out there, you know, and whatever else we involve ourselves in here. But pray also for Syria and Lebanon. Come when Alicia and Julia are doing the prayer times every first and third Sundays, right? We pray in here at 830 uh, for, for these things that we're involved with as a church, for uh, Lebanon, Syria, and the work we're doing there, for Morocco and the work we're doing there, for Indonesia and the work we've done there and we possibly will do in the future, 
and, and, you know, whatever Sammy Zondervan's doing, she's training other missionaries to go out. We support her. You know, whatever 6-8 partners in, pray for those things. Think about them. Write them down. Put them on a mirror and start to pray for those things because it's very important. Let's be about God's glory and God's mission to see worship happen among all the peoples of the world. That's our desire. That's our goal. And let me pray for us now. Father, we thank you that you call us to a purpose. You, you, you are forming us and shaping us. We know that our submission to you and our obedience towards you is of utmost importance to walk with you well. We know that we reside under your grace. We reside under your mercy and you'll never drop us. But we don't want to just rest on our laurels. We want to be actually people that say yes to you, that enjoy a life that is given over to where you're going and we're following you there. And we're allowing you to shape us and form us and pushing us past our fears as we do so. We just thank you and we ask that you would form and shape us as a church and as individuals.